favourite shape is um, a an isosceles triangle. Is that a shape? Nice. So desperate, desperately trying to remember things from my um, from my my bad high school mathematics classes. Unfortunately, you're on the other side of academia that does not deal with maths. You're decidedly non-STEM, so shapes and colors. Well, exactly, and given that when I when I first did my classes, uh, first did my classes for um, uh, for maths when I was at high school, I burst into tears on my first day because it was too uh, it was too difficult. Um, you know that that really sets us up for uh, you know. A failure, and and it's, it's a good it's a good cold intro for today because we're talking about trauma traumatized children. So oh, I, I was I was just going to say, you know, the education system does not really cater for people who have uh, undiagnosed neurodivergent statuses. Although I don't know what when you were diagnosed, I I was as an I was adult, diagnosed about five minutes ago. Yeah, fair, fair, and. Yeah, it, it, when it happened, it explains so much. I was kind of like, you know, the glass-breaking moment. But uh, yeah, we're uh, you're very welcome to Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas O'Mahony, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, my co- co-host, author, historian, art lecturer, Dr. Matt Lauder. You know him, you subscribe to the Patreon, you know us. Lover, friend, you know, all of those things. Dilettante. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um I want to start, right? I want to start this episode uh with a with a with a quote. So this is from um a magazine called the National Police Gazette, American magazine from July the 30th, 1881. There was a time when tattooing was an ornamental characteristic peculiar to sailors and small boys, but like many another fashion it's grown more extended, grown to more extended usefulness or at least application. The very latest agony on Murray Hill is tattooing the baby. <laughs> um, how do we feel about tattooing babies, Tom? Um, I don't really like the idea. I feel like, you know, babies... You're against. Don't have op- we'll put you down in the against column. Yeah, like, you know, they don't have object permanence. Their skull hasn't fully fused. I, <laughs> they can't really eat solid food yet. You know, I... I'm not sure I'm a pro tattooing babies. Pro tattooing about so so we're going to mark you in the against column for the tattooing of yeah, babies. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, essentially, uh, this is something that I really want to talk about uh, the tattooing of children because I think it's uh, you know it gets into some really interesting parts from some quite deep history. So the point of this particular case in New York of, of tattooing a baby, as the article goes on. Um, was uh, essentially for identification. So one morning, however, a private carriage rolled through the fifth filth of Cherry Street. A fashionably dressed lady, followed by a nurse with a baby in her arms, picked her way through the unclean court to Sailor Peter's door. She wanted two initials pricked on the baby's arms. This was the first of a number of similar customers. Some carry their little ones themselves. Other subjects come in charge of nurses as aristocratic as themselves. But they come and they pay, and pay so well that Sailor Peter will be able to retire from the business altogether when the present boom subsides. So basically, um, it's a way of like stopping your baby getting abducted, <laughs> um, or at least that's that's the that's the thought process. Was there some sort of like Oliver Twist Fagan rolling around picking up babies? I didn't know the baby <laughs> industry was that. Uh, the baby theft industry was that big back then. 
Some would say it's the pod. It's the podcasting of back then. One of the yeah. One of also one of the reasons. So this is happening in 1881, and and one of the reasons it's happening is because in 1871, about you know, a few, few years earlier, um, there'd been this case in London uh, called the Titchborne trial. And basically, the, 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 we, we can probably do a whole episode on that um, at some point in the future. But basically, this aristocratic teenager, a guy called Roger Titchborne, went missing at sea in 1853. And um, his mother had sort of given up all hope that he would be found alive. Meanwhile, his younger brother inherited the family fortune and was like sort of whittling it away on gambling. And then miraculously, Roger turned up alive um, and wanted to claim the family fortune. And to cut a long story short, it turned out that this guy, uh, plot twist, wasn't actually the deceased aristocrat, but it was a butcher's son from Wapping called Tom Castro. So um, the reason this all came out in court was because the real Roger uh, had been tattooed at boarding school, tattooed himself and his friends. And this guy in the dock uh, didn't have any tattoos at all. And so basically there was this essentially kind of panic among, amongst aristocrats of like, hey, we should all tattoo our children so that if some some criminal tries to steal our family fortune, um, move into our family pile, you know, run off with our family titles and lands, uh, we can prove it uh, with with the with the tattoo. So I think that's coming in the aftermath of that. But like, actually, it also has a really long history because there were the, the other the other place that we find something similar. Well, in there are two places we find something similar in deeper history. One of which is in. Um, uh, basically like Renaissance Italy, so 16th century Italy in what are called foundling hospitals, right? So essentially kind of orphanages, basically, for raising of children. And mothers would leave the baby with the um, with the care of the nuns or with the care of the, the institution um, uh, with potentially the intention of returning. There's some really heartbreaking examples from England of like little tokens and little pieces of fabric and stuff for identification purposes. But for a while in um, in Italy, uh, you would basically before you gave your baby over to the institution, um, you tattoo its foot with its initials uh, and with a little symbol, so that when you came to get your baby later on, or it, or it found you in adulthood, even um, you could be sure that it was actually your baby and that that it hadn't died and was sneakily swapped out by the wet nurses. Going, no, I promise you, this is your child, like with some weird Ponzi scheme. <laughs> You know, it's like a pre- it's like premium card trading. You know, if you if you don't pony up, you don't get a premium <laughs> yeah. child. Exactly that, right? So, so tattooing of babies is for identification. The other the other example of that is um in the 1750s. So again, you know, we're we're pre Cook. I don't know if we mentioned this on the pre Cook episode, but these these Swabian children who essentially were like poor, might poor like uh like peasant children of peasants, essentially in um in Austria, and they would get sent on this long march across the Alps to work on farms in Germany, sometimes for a whole summer season, sometimes even for several summer seasons. And then they'd return back um, months or many years later you know, to bring back the money they'd earned. And again, because these, these par- parents were worried that their children wouldn't recognise them or they wouldn't recognise them in return, they would tattoo, um, tattoo some kind of what's called in the, in the uh, uh, report about this, a mark of consanguinity, you know, like, this is my, this is my baby, hands, hands off. So that's quite practical, right? Like I think you can see the practical, the practical benefits of, of tattooing children. Have you have I changed your mind yet that tattooing children is a good thing? Um. So similarly to these, like the functional form of tattooing of children in the, I think it was the 1950s in the US. It was kind of in 
the Midwest, I think it was Arkansas, as far as I can remember, there were there was a program where several school children were tattooed. So they were this is obviously during the the beginnings of the Cold War or or maybe it was around the Bay of Pigs, you know, real heating up of tensions around nuclear weapons. And obviously there was a great fear in the US of nuclear weapons being used and the fallout. So you have like um of you have that turtle cartoon that's about you know hiding under your desk in case there's a nuclear Texans bomb drop. survive, yeah, 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 yeah. So essentially, these children were tattooed with their blood type in case you know uh, there was an attack. There would be a need for blood transfusions. You could identify you know who needed what blood and who had what blood, and it served a functional purpose. Yeah, that, and that wasn't just on children. Actually, that was that was called Operation Tat Type, um, and it was run, it rolled out at the at the um, uh, Iowa State Fair initially, and then kind of rolled around the country. The tattoos were those tattoos were in people's armpits in in because apparently that was the part that would survive if all of your limbs got blown off. And even better, that idea came from. Um, oh no! Why are we talking so much about the desecration of limbs recently? You know, children's yeah. exploding hands, uh, your armpit being the only thing that well, would survive. Yeah, yeah, that was the last episode. Well, so the other, the other good thing about that, um, the, the 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 practical marking of blood types, um, was that uh, it was an idea idea that the American government got from the Nuremberg trials. The guy who was the the Americans learning from the Nazis. Do not Google know, Operation right? Paperclip. Do not Google Operation Paperclip. Yeah, the guy who invented this uh, was the um, was one of the expert witnesses uh, for the American Medical Association at the Nuremberg trials, and he saw that basically the SS one of the the way that they caught Eichmann um, amongst others was that he had an SS, the SS blood types their officers, um, and he was like, "That's a good idea." And thankfully, that was the one and only thing that the Americans learned from the Nazis, Thomas. Yes, do not look up how they got to the moon. Do not look uh, up at the uh, crossover between the invention of the V2 rocket with uh, Werner von Braun and the US space program. But it's funny that they managed to find him because of a tattoo and Otto Scorsese had like a huge scar on his face and just like was wandering around for like 30 years and bought a farm in Ireland in the like 50s, 60s. We've gone astray here, but Mengele actually escaped because he didn't have a tattoo, so he was pretending to be someone else. He joined the SS early. He was an OG SS member, so didn't have a blood type tattoo. And um, because of that, when he when they were doing the demobbing um, and looking specifically for SS members and letting rank and file soldiers go, he pretended to be someone else and they let him go. Um, so yeah, so tattooing is tattooing is identification. I mean, also talking about severed limbs. There's a there's a there's a a great couple of cases, one of which is a severed arm, which washed up on a British beach, I think in South End, with tattoos on it. And it was like, who does this belong to? And the other one, uh, again, I think I made, we mentioned on a previous episode, was a barrel full of um, a barrel full of meat, a barrel full of pork, taken by um, from a Dutch pirate ship, and it had a tattooed sailor's arm in it. So, you know, tattooing for identification is probably not a bad idea. What if they what if they were using the arm to like, you know, stir the pork in the barrel to make sure it didn't, you know, stick to the side? They were just taking this like arm and like I wonder what pickled <laughs> arm tastes like. Someone get an army hammer nom, on the phone. Nom nom nom. Um but it's all, go on. So it's also it's also worth pointing out, you know, that and we there were no laws uh in in, in Britain and America. Um 
that tattooing children was illegal. Uh, so tattooing of minors wasn't illegal in Britain until 1969. So you, 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 there was no specific law on tattooing children um, before 1969. Uh, that came in um, because a couple of years earlier in a case called Burrell versus uh, Harmer, this tattooer tattooed the arm of two boys, one age 12, one age 13. Um, and he was convicted there for basically assault, uh, right? But there was no specific law on tattooing. And that was also the case in, in America, right? So a couple of other cases I want to talk about today um, are from, from the US, and particularly from New York, because, again, it may not surprise you to learn this, but um, the RSPCC, or the, or the, sorry, the, 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 the American equivalent, the New York Society for the Protection of Cruelty to Children, existed after the similar association for adult for animals so there was a society for the protection of cruelty to animals before there was a protection of society to cruelty to i mean if all you have to do is uh look at uh media depictions in the uk and you'll find out that a lot of people care a whole lot more about animals than about children before we move on to like the specific cases and it's you know since your book is coming out soon i want to talk maybe Specifically about examples in the book of, you know, the connections between, you know, childhood vagrancy and criminality and tattooing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's, I mean, this is exactly this case, right? These cases in New York. So New York and American society in general was was much more concerned initially with the prevention of cruelty to animals than to children. <laughs> but the late Victorian era, the late 19th century brings with it this kind of increased morality policing. And one of the things that the New York society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, also called the Children's Society or the, the Jerry Society after the guy that set them up. They were interested in loads of things. Uh, they were interested in kind of, yeah, um, male boys, paper boys delivering pornography. Not like It wasn't the fact that children were working <laughs> was the problem. It was that children were working, you know, getting up early in the morning to deliver newspapers and posts. It was that they were delivering filthy, filthy postcards and obscene publications. Don't worry, if if they had the chance, Liz Truss would 100% repeal child labour laws. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do you think... They didn't have depression or anxiety when they were working in the mines. Exactly. Snowflake generation. I worked down the mine and got black lung, didn't do me any harm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so and that also came with kind of concerns about... Um, lasciviousness and, 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 and immoral influence. Um, it, it really is a, a moment when kind of childhood or certainly adolescence is being kind of invented, so to speak, culturally as a, con- as a context, as a concept. Um, and, uh, yeah, part, tattooing sort of becomes this really interesting, uh, you know, basically kind of like real distillation of both the kind of physical harm of children and the kind of moral harm of children because Tattooing, uh, particularly in places like New York, is really associated with sailors and with, therefore, with drinking. And you know, it's the, the American military's had a good kind of PR campaign um, in the years since World War Two, and is now a pretty upstanding institution. But t- during the nineteenth and early twentieth century, the American Navy, in particular, was like really you know a hotbed of kind of vice and, uh, and and ill behavior. And so, kind of tattooing, which was you know, associating the popular imagination with with criminality and with drinking and with sailors was particularly harmful for children, as well as the fact you know it was linked with disease, it was linked with syphilis, it was linked with all kinds of horrible nastiness. So there were a few cases um, towards well around the beginning of the twentieth century 
with um with, uh, and towards the well between like let's say the eighteen seventies right the way through to the kind of nineteen twenties of of children uh, being uh, being tattooed and causing a kind of ruckus. Again, there was no specific law against it uh, at this moment, but um, they, they were finding ways to kind of charge uh, tattooers with new, um, you know, basically kind of new new statutes against kind of cruelty to children or endangering children, etc. So one of my favourite one of these um, is a guy called Charles Wagner, uh, really really important, uh, uh, really really important tattooer in the American. Um, tradition, uh, working on the Bowery, really, 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 really prominent and important early early American tattooer, and he got in trouble twice uh, for tattooing children. Um, the first of which was um, he tattooed a Jewish boy with designs including a crucifix and the head of Christ in 1902, um, and there was such a craze at that time that one school uh, in the New York Lower East Side reported several little boys and girls appearing with beetles, shrimps, lobsters, and butterflies crawling over their faces. Um, so, so Wagner was like, well, I didn't know the kid was Jewish. <laughs> sorry, you know, sorry for tattooing a, a, a Christ head on him. And then um, a couple of years later, he was... Um, I'd say he was the only person at that time who didn't engage in a phrenology and said, how was I supposed to know the kid was Jewish? And then the judge was probably like, look at him. Yeah, terrifyingly, right? Um, so that was in 1902. Then a few years later, um, uh, he was sentenced to 20 days imprisonment for tattooing an 11-year-old boy. Um, this is a time when uh, the the act of kind of decorating your body, again, particularly in New York with like stickers and transfers and stuff, what get called cockamamies, um, is a really, really popular thing. So it is a sort of genuinely a kind of youth, youthful fashion um, for a while around the turn of the century. There's a couple of um, amazing skin specimens uh, in a museum in Edinburgh. Um, I found a newspaper report from the uh, 1890s basically saying, oh, I went to a lovely lecture at the museum at the um, University of Edinburgh yesterday where uh, it was presented this incredible skin of a young Irish American man. Um, and basically the description was, yeah, that there was this, 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 this guy's tattooed skins were put on display. And that this kid had been tattooed basically so that his brother could learn to learn to learn tattooing. So the guy had quote been operated on by his brother when a boy from four to seven years of age, and the process of tattooing had occupied nearly three years. The whole surface of the skin, except the face, hands, and soles of the feet, was covered with the most artistically executed designs. So basically, and we hear this again from Charlie uh, Wagner and some other American tattooers as well. Um, you didn't want to fuck up on your paying customers, <laughs> so. So you'd have to learn to tattoo, and like your younger brother uh, would probably be a good place to start. And and I emailed the the museum in Edinburgh, and I said like, okay, I, you definitely haven't got this skin because I think um, I or my colleague Gemma Angel, who's a historian of tattooed skin preservation, who we should get on the podcast at some point, um, never heard of this. But I emailed them and said, oh, you know, what, do you know what happened to this skin? And then, oh yeah, we just had a look. It's at the back of the storeroom. No one's looked at it in 120 years. <laughs> Here are some pictures. <laughs> So we reproduced in the book uh, one picture of, of this poor guy's, he died at age 29, but these, this kind of full bodysuit basically of like Irish American designs, including a portrait of George Washington, um, uh, which he'd had been done presumably uh, in, the 18, in the 1870s when he was about four, four or five years old. Um, yeah. Uh, and, 
Yeah, New York and London is a few of these. The, the, the case that I anchor the some of this stuff in the book is the case of a, a girl called Madeline Altman. Um, and uh, so this is, a, this is a quote from the Detroit Free Press, 15th of September, 1906. When he found Madeline, Agent King noticed that he left. I feel like I should be doing like a kind of old timey New York accent here. When he found Madeline, Agent King noticed that her left arm was much swollen and wrapped in a bandage. He asked her what the trouble was. Why, don't you know? asked Madeline, shifting her gum from side to side. I'm having New York Pete tattoo arms and chest. There we go. How you was that? sound like Keir Starmer. Old timey, old timey American newsreel voice. So basically, this is like young 15 year old girl who was the, from a fairly well to do family. Her dad was an insurance broker um, in Brooklyn. But she was picked up in, 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 uh, on the Bowery. So on this kind of basically street of taverns and flop houses, cinemas. Um, uh, gambling houses, right? Uh, and she was covered in tattoos. So, um, she was, uh, she had, uh, for example, um, American flag. Uh, she had a heart inked in red. She had a flag waving sailor. Her back was covered in a battleship. Both her arms were tattooed from elbow to wrist with daggers or other naval designs. And on her chest, not yet healed, was another warship, an eagle. She also had a self-portrait of sorts, a girl dressed in sailor togs alongside her own initials, M.A. Um, she also had a pocket full of um, photographs and letters from amorous Navy men. Um, and yeah, like, interestingly, it explains to the, um, the gathered newspaper pack that, um, quote, all the girls are getting it done. Uh, she told the New York Times reporter, it's getting so the sailors won't look at you if you ain't got some tattoos on you. Um, there's also some interesting sort of gender play because she also said, oh, I wish I was a boy. If I was, I bet your boots I'd be enlisted in the Navy. But the sailors are all right, they are. I just love sailor boys. And, you know, th- this is a point that I kind of want to maybe touch on because when you look at the timeline of history, teenagehood, you know, adolescence, wasn't really a thing until the 20th century as we transition into, you know, the post-war period. Youth, as we know it now, didn't exist. But an interesting point that's coming about in this conversation is that something that is still quite prevalent now is the the fear around the transgression of class. Like, certain yeah. people don't get, and of don't gender, get tattoos. Yeah, and, and of gender. And this kind of idea that you will lose a cert- your certain place in the social pecking order if you get marks on your skin, which you know, has ties in with religion, with pur- uh, Puritanism. But it is very interesting that as we move into like the post-war period where the invention of the teenager, as we know it now, really comes about, that getting tattoos really becomes a counter, a solidified countercultural force rather than it's just, you know, sailors and kind of people who exist outside of a lot of the regular structures of society exist, if you know, yeah. you know what I mean. Well what what I love about what I love about the story of Madeline, um, and of sort of some of the other stories. I mean, even <clears throat> there's there's another story a few years earlier, um, basically involving the same New York society, um, a girl called Hannah, uh, who was also tattooed. There are similar ones in the UK from a bit later on, but like one of the things that really strikes me about them is they're not framed, and I don't think they are um, explicit sort of fuck you stories of teenage rebellion. They're quite kind of naive and quite kind of 
you know, is they're quite kind of, you know, they're excited in their kind of childlike love of like, oh, tattoos are cool. And, um, and they're not presented because tattooing isn't functioning in this way yet, culturally, as a kind of sign of teenage rebellion. The, the, when, they're talked to, when tattooing on children is talked about, and there's also similar cases from France, actually, that I'm thinking about on young women, it's often presented as this kind of quite naive, like joyful love of, 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 of this, you know, of just looking like a sailor or playing, playing dress up or, or, or even... You know, in some of the cases on tattoos of, of young girls or young women, like tattooing as a kind of beautification process. And it's not presented as this kind of fuck you teenage rebellion story. I've looked really hard for photos of Madeline or even drawings. and I, I haven't yet found one. I, I, um, uh, I, there's a couple of um, leads I'm, I'm still tracking down. I'd love to see a picture of her um, because she just seems awesome. <laughs> I have to say, like, really just kind of joyful and excited to be tattooed but after the you know of course her tattooing was taken to be as you said like indicative of this kind of class you know problem it wasn't just she was tattooed it was that she was tattooed in this particular place in this particular way and so she got sent um as part so the tattooers got sent uh, got fined one of whom um samuel o'reilly is again really one of the most important american tattooers um, ever um the first first ever owner in the world of a patent of an electric tattoo machine. So this isn't something that's just happening in kind of like the lowest end of shops, although we'll talk more about that later on. Um, it's a real part of the culture, actually, of tattooing in the early years of its professional development that, you know, young teenagers are getting tattooed. But Madeline um, basically, despite her protestations, gets sent to what's called the House of Mercy. And it's like a correctional institution um, in a place called Inglewood in New York. And it's a place where basically like young women in particular got sent for correction by, by nuns, right? So it's, we don't know exactly what happened to her there, but it was a pretty horrible, horrible, horrible place. Like her, her father basically said he would hope it would cure her of her sea madness, you know, kind of beat this nonsense out of her. And um, it had around 100 young women there, um, many of whom had been picked up and accused of sex working. Um, it was a place where, you know, again, had this kind of physical and moral hygiene conversation intertwined, which is, I think, tattooing, always well, tattooing is such a part of the conversation. Um, one of their reports from around this period said, we are raising the tone of conversation in place where girls assemble and work. Lectures on sex hygiene are given. Wholesome recreation is encouraged and higher ideals of life are cultivated. But like, of course, that what, what that really meant was like humiliation Shaving of heads as punishment. Um, uh, one of the nuns said, uh, we find the girls do not like to lose their hair and fear of having it cut off tends to make them obedient. These young women were gagged. Um, they were malnourished. Um, one runaway, uh, again, around the same time as Madeline was there, a girl called Isabel Cowan, was found sleeping rough in Central Park. Um, and she said she'd rather live in the park than the House of Mercy. And during Madeline's incarceration, or shortly afterwards, um, one of the sisters there, a teacher called Josephine Hall, um, shot herself in the head, having been despondent of late. Um, in 1915, I'm reading from my book here, 1915, resident girls started a riot in protest at the poor conditions, and by 1920, it, it closed down. In 1933, a New Yorker writer went to visit it and um, found graffiti on the walls saying, I wish I was dead. God help me to get out of here. And I was put in this house of mercy for nothing. So. So 
this kind of little joyful sailor girl with her cool sailor tattoos um for that crime basically or for that kind of transgression she was put into this really horrible institution for uh uh, at least several years um uh, probably probably three or four years uh, uh, at least and um, don't mean know much what happened to her afterwards the book goes into a bit more of her later life story but i think you know we get these laws against tattooing of children and i think they are generally coming from a good place um as you in- indicated towards the beginning um because you know i don't know if i'd have got if i'd have got tattooed with what i wanted to get tattooed with when i was 14 <laughs> it was my body would look very different. Yeah, like we can, and we will have a conversation towards the end around, you know, the agency of children. Um, but uh, kids are not really well known for discerning taste. That's all we'll say. But all, no. something that I want to talk would, about. What when would you, you have got tattooed on you if, when you were 14? Oh, I really wanted a Foo Fighters logo when I was like 14. Thank God. <laughs> I, um, but since we were, you mentioned, you know, the naivety around it. It's something that I want to talk about in terms of, like, I come from a media background, and (laughs) so what you have towards the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, is a really, really big boom in the rise of, you know, popular pulp novels that were both targeted at children and at adults, and most of them, you know, focused on stories of adventure, stories of sailors, stories of the extravagant world outside of the horizon. And obviously, a lot of this literature and this media was targeted at both kids and adults together. So the way I see it and the big shift as I see it after, you know, post-war is that both adults and kids were engaging with the kind of same stuff. So I think adults kind of had a little bit more of a more understanding viewpoint of a children's kind of naive attraction to stuff like this, that they understand like, what is the appealing nature of, you know, tattooed sailors going on adventures and this kind of like lifestyle that people who might have been viewed differently about 40 years later. And I think what happened as you had that like segmentation of adolescence to adulthood is then you have the split between, you know, an adult's understanding of, you know, a child's maybe naive interests and like maybe naive choices and now you have like the dictation of adults' minds and viewpoints onto like a child's wants and needs. Yeah, and I think yeah, no, I think it is, and I think you know, I think um, one of the things that really bothers people about tattoos, obviously, um, is their permanence, right? Um, and one of the things that people really love about their tattoos is their permanence. You know, that's the that's why tattooing your children. Um, as babies for identification purposes works. And, and it's the same reason why people are worried about kids making bad decisions on their tattoos, because that, that kind of permanence really worries people. Um, and, you know, in some cultural contexts, and we're, we're talking primarily here, obviously, about, as I said, about kind of Europe and America, but like in some some places, um, including, as we heard a couple of weeks ago from Maya uh, in, in the Arctic or in Fiji is another place where this happens. Tattooing is a is a marker of your adulthood. You know, it's an initiation, right? You can only become tattooed or, or, or the act of tattooing actually marks or creates or, or, or generates your move into adulthood in some cultural traditions. So this, this kind of like, you know, casting off of, of childish ways, so to speak in that, in that biblical sense is, is a really important cultural link with tattooing. And it's because I think 
this idea of of of, of permanence um, terrifies people, particularly, you know, you see it a lot in conversations, and this is a real tangent, which we shouldn't really go down today, because it will be going to be another uh, topic for a future session. But this is also lots of the conversations about sexuality and gender identity. You know, it's like, well, let kids be kids. Let them, don't let them make irreversible changes to their bodies. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not here advocating for um, for children to be tattooed. I really am not. I'm just trying to explain why I think well, the, what, what, these, what these anxieties reveal, you know, um, and and I think you know I think they're they're legitimate anxieties, of course. So we we should be horrified about um, about children making irreversible changes um, to some degree. But like, yeah, I think this is this is as you say, you know, as you always say in the introduction, like t- tattooing being the history of everything. Like, I don't think we 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 often think much about why why we should or shouldn't tattoo people under the age of eighteen. As I said, it's a fairly recent phenomenon that many tattooers in Britain didn't tattoo underage kids anyway and that was also true even if it wasn't explicitly illegal that was also true in the united states um you know uh one of um one of uh sam riley and wagner's great rivals um elmer getchell um who was another kind of early pioneer of electric tattooing um like he he was basically sort of uh you know he said that like true professionals would not, would not stoop to tattooing children who lacks the capacity to to choose a design on their bodies so this kind of ethics in the industry was turning against the tattooing of children as early as the you know early part of the twentieth century, but um, but 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 the fact we the fact we even have to ask this question like what is it about tattooing under eighteen under eighteen that is problematic I think is interesting revelatory it tells us a lot about cultural attitudes to childhood and it tells us a lot about cultural attitudes to things like bodily autonomy to permanence to our relationship with time yeah all of these things you know and that's actually. You mentioning time, that's something to get a bit philosophical for a second. I think part of the moral attitude around it is that from an adult perspective, once you reach a certain age, you understand both the the permanence of something like tattooing, but also the impermanence of our bodies and our own mortality. And I feel like there is some sort of understandable fear from a parent or an, an adult of, you know, making permanent permanent choices before you understand the permanence of your being but also the impermanence of it as well right and this is a very you know this is a very kind of culturally contingent and 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 you know chronologically contingent conversation um i think conversations about adulthood are, are, are still happening you know maybe not so much about tattooing but there are certainly conversations about um uh, one of the ones i saw was like whether in the United States, you know, where it's legal to perform in pornography at 18, whether that's sensible, you know, in the age of, in the age of the internet and people are making decisions that may affect their life in negative ways. Maybe we should up the age for performing sex on camera in in America to 21, um, from 18. And I think, you know, those conversations aren't happening around tattooing. Um, but that said as well, you know, like I, I wasn't tattooed when I was underage because I got into tattooing so well so early that i knew not to get a bad one and you were only going to get a bad tattoo if you went to someone who wouldn't check your id right but i know loads of people who were tattooed underage um because they loved like like madeline i suppose loved tattooing and actually probably would have got a better tattoo than they got if they were able to go to someone um who who knew what they were doing i mean that is it's an unsquarable problem but like i mean you you, you must you must know too people who were tattooed at 15 oh, yeah. 16 yeah. 17 yeah Loads of people. Like, I, I know loads of people who've gotten, uh, like, mostly stick and pokes from their friends or they've bought machines online and done themselves. 
I know one or two tattoo artists who started tattooing on themselves when they were like 15, 16, because they, they knew that's what they wanted to do. And the only canvas they had available was their own legs or their arms, you know? Well, this was, yeah, well, this was one of the reasons actually that tattooing became illegal in England, uh, England and Wales in 1969 with the Tattooing of Minors Act. It was because there was a kind of brief craze over the course of kind of the mid 60s for tattooing. Um, and, you know, m- many people weren't able to get tattooed in, in shops. So they were going to shitty shops. But loads of them were tattooing themselves, you know, with um, with compass needles, with um, blades from um, pencil sharpeners. There was a guy, guy that used to drive my school bus, who was a big like ex army dude, like skinhead guy, like well, it wasn't a skinhead. He had a shaven head. I don't think he was a skinhead, but he was a big, big dude, and he had on his wrist the word "wham" tattooed that he'd done himself. This is like in the love George Michael. In the in the like early nineties, mm. yeah, because he'd done that when he was a kid, right? Um, and 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 the reason we had we, we have laws in the UK against tattooing of under eighteens is is because there was this moral panic that kids wanted to get tattooed. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't need to ban it if if kids weren't doing it already. I suppose is the point there, right? Yeah, and I think uh, like maybe to touch on a broader point. Funny enough, there's a an Aboriginal man that I follow on TikTok who like talks about he grew up in the bush and talks a lot about Aboriginal life in the bush and everything. And um, there was one video that I saw recently that like really kind of struck me is that he was talking about he doesn't know what age he is because, you know, age didn't really exist in the bush. So he said, you know, my family who've been born in hospitals, they know what age they are, but I don't know what age I am. And he talked about how, you know, that, that transition from childhood to adulthood when he was a child, you know, he helped his mother and his aunts and other female members of his group to you know gather food and that sort of thing and then he said oh you became a man when your facial hair started coming in so your when your mustache started to come in that's when you started transitioning to hunting with you know the men and like you mentioned there is there is cultural practices of like tattooing as a transitionary period between your childhood to your adulthood and i think part of the Part of the pushback around tattooing on younger people and not just necessarily like people under 18, also like younger people is that our our lines have been blurred so much in the past couple of decades of, you know, where does childhood end and where does adulthood start? And I think maybe that's because we have somewhat gotten away or gotten rid of ceremony and cultural practices around the marking of certain periods in your life and i think that's maybe what attracts kids to tattooing is that and it it still attracts people it attracts me to tattooing that for kids you know doing like a small tattoo with like your compass in class you know it it, you're trying to mark yourself as you know either a period in your life where this is an adult thing that i'm you know grown i'm making this decision but also that you are marking a period in your life starting or beginning or ending you know yeah well then there's also this interesting kind of point of independence there as well right that you can make the decision on your own you're capable have the capacity mentally to make decisions as your own i know tattooists often tell me that you know they have people come in with their children or with their teenage children with their 15 year olds you know for maybe even younger and say oh but i, I give parental permission you know like i can we can override this social protection uh against tattooing of underage people um, if if their parents say so, and I think lots of lots of parents who do that are surprised to hear that no, actually it's a strict 
it's a strict thing. You can't even just even if your mum says you know, it's okay for you to get a tattoo, um, you can get one. And that is also kind of interesting and, and, and different from some of the other things we we, we delegate to parents um, as opposed to adults. You know, lots of things in actually to do with bodies are, are, are complicated around that area. So it is it is interesting to me that, that tattooing um, probably really more than nearly anything else, other maybe other than voting. Um, is the one thing you probably you really definitely can't. You, know, you can, you know, people can drink before they're eighteen and often do. Um, people, you know, smoking was moved to eighteen from sixteen, and but, but but I know that kids are kids are getting hold of cigarettes. I mean, maybe maybe that's uh, cigarettes is pretty fruity vapes than alcohol is fruity vapes. Um, but yeah, but 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 tattooing is like one of the few things you you really can't do. Certainly not in a in a tattoo studio um until you're until you're an adult and so it does yeah like kind of almost by proxy like serve that marker of adulthood and yeah as someone who has been an 18 year old uh, at one point in the past and who teaches 18 year olds um some 18 year olds again myself included uh are um are, are idiots many 18 year olds are idiots again i include myself in that um in that if list. you're one of so, Matt's students and uh, you're listening I to this he's calling you an idiot Directly you, you specifically listening. He is calling you an idiot. <laughs> actually, my students are lovely, actually. They're not, they're not idiots. So what I mean, they're really not. But what I, what I mean is, is like, you know, there's something about being 18, which we, you know, it's just sort of, it's better than, it's, it's sort of roughly when most, you know, on average people, we think people are capable of making decisions about their bodies. Um, but there's no, there's no hard and fast reason why on the evening of the, you know, that the 365th day of your 17th year on the planet, you're all of a sudden more mature than you were yesterday. Of course, it doesn't work mm. like that, but we, we have to have laws. You know, laws have to function uh, like that. I was going to say, I th- and I think it's surprising to people to learn that like we didn't always have laws against tattooing of children. <laughs> that it, it was, it, it was, it was, it wasn't exactly um, okay or tolerated, but it certainly wasn't explicitly against the law. Moving past the establishment of like. Th- the legal precedent around tattooing of children when you move into like the 70s and 80s you start to see cases around like moral panics or that involve tattooing not necessarily directly on children but on people around children and that's when you start to have you know the satanic panic in the 80s and that you know involves you know around the protection of children and it uh, tattooing was linked to you know the moral panic like the the west memphis three um what's the guy's name he's like the he's all into esoteric stuff now um yeah what like well yeah this, well this is damien this eccles is, uh, damien eccles is his name yeah oh and uh you know i have i haven't watched it but you know eddie munson in stranger things season four is based on damien eccles and you know, at that time, you know, oh, he's into metal. I, I feel like he has a tattoo as well. You know, Satan. I'm going to put the Satan drop in here somewhere. But, you know, it, it is that once again, as we post the kind of liberal 60s and 70s, you had the kind of moral strangulation of society as we move into the Thatcher and Reagan era and social control starts to close its pincers around society and tattooing is included in that. Yeah, and, and a huge amount of the um, uh, moral panic around uh, uh, tattooing and HIV uh, and homosexuality was linked up with that satanic panic. Again, we'll do a we'll do a whole episode about that, I think, in future. Um, but yeah, so much of that was about preying on our children. You know, both uh, you know 
predatory gay men, but also predatory tattooists. And there were tattoo artists who, you know, if if you if you wanted to get a cool skinhead face tattoo um, in London in the eighties, most reptile tattooers wouldn't do it. Um, but there were guys tattooing who would be happy to do that, and some of them, um, you know, were, were were potentially tattooing people who were under under the age of eighteen. Um, what with one with one kind of you know ethical breach the the tattooing of the face of a young person um comes another one not really caring about asking for id and like yeah that 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 um that link of 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 um of the the tattooing kind of instantiating or you know representing physical and moral harm together that we saw um in in those cases from new york uh in 1900 or so are exactly the same thing you know rhetorically that's going on in the 1980s and 90s and the reason we wanted to do this episode uh, and the reason I thought it was a good idea is because um, this is exactly repeated um, in the recent, like crazy, like QAnon satanic panic, like the, the the kind of incursion of the satanic panic into Britain through this amazing, kind of disgracefully amazing case in Hampstead. And um, there's a good podcast um, also just um, media. Um, just for anyone listening, uh, trigger warning here: we are going to talk about some you know, abuse and talk about it involving children. So, you know, just be fair warned. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm trying, I'm not going to kind of go into the the, the specifics here because don't need to for the, for the, um, uh, the, the point we want to make, but like, there's a really interesting, um, podcast on this by tortoise media called hoaxed. There was a show about it or an episode about it on, on BBC radio four as well. Uh, essentially the, the allegation was, or the, the case is essentially that these these parents um, who who had broken up, the, the wife um, and her new husband wanted to um, basically sort of cast aspersions on the father in order to try and gain custody, and so invented, cooked up this this this, this story um, around the same time as like Pizzagate was happening in the US, basically. About a sort of satanic child abuse ring in um, in Hampstead in Northwest London, um, and the children were coached essentially um, to to claim that they'd partaken in satanic orgies and they'd seen uh, and partaken in the eating of human flesh and um, you know there are there are some horrific kind of um, uh, transcript details from the interviews that these children gave um, before recounting uh, everything they said about what they said they saw and and part of it was that they said you know part of the the, the point here was that the um the, the the members of the satanic uh pedophile ring the satanic murder ring were were tattooed with satanic symbols and that's how you could tell um who was in the yeah who was in the who was in the satanic cult right um and it, it, it is amazing as you said that that this is something that which begins certainly as early as the 1970s, but becomes, you know, but in the 2020s still has, you know, it's still the kind of part, a necessary part of a narrative. If you want to tell a convincing satanic death cult story that the members of that satanic death cult have to have, have to have tattoos on their arms. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing. And like, uh, it's again, it does tell us something about how, when we're talking about the moral and physical harm of children, um, Tattooing becomes a part of the uh, part of the narrative. So I've got a couple of uh, I've got a couple of um, transcripts here uh, from the interviews um, with the two of the children. 
uh, this was back in 2015. Um, it's it's been court cases around it. Um, people have gone to to jail for 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 making things up and making false accusations and for harassing families in the area. But for example, um, uh, so one there's a video in which uh, the father says to one of the children, "Oh, so he doesn't have any other marks, no tattoos, nothing." And the child says, "Yes, he has tattoos. He has a tattoo, tattoo and pierce rings. Yes, he has a he has a pierce ring on his willy where it wees." Right, so like being coached to tell these stories about tattooing and piercing as an indi- indication of perversion, and 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 and, and then uh, another one, um, the twenty special children um, have tattoos. All the teachers have tattoos. XXXXX, you know, redacted has tattoos all over his arms, and another redacted person also got tattoos on his arms, and they have it on their privates. Um, they're devil and monster tattoos on their privates. Um, and then the boys are asked to draw pictures of these tattoos, and, and some of these are reproduced uh, in some of the court evidence, and they're reproduced on a on a blog, which we can link in the in the show notes. Um, so essentially, like these children are being coached into talking about tattoos, um, because at least as far as the um, uh, stepfather who was coaching these children, tattooing was going to be indicative of you know a real kind of nice shorthand for the authorities. Uh, of the kind of legitimacy and reality of these um of these absurd and outrageous and disgusting uh claims um so yeah this is this is something we see we see a lot you know the stories of tattoos have come up um falsely in the um uh the bill maloney uh case um where another um another person who was sort of making up fake claims about abuse and and, and pedophiles and satanic rings so tattooing is this is this real kind of you know feature because you know what do we know about people who have tattoos well they're all um you know they're all they're all morally uh morally corrupt so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's amazing how how what begins i suppose um in the early or late 19th early 20th century is like don't tattoo children uh you know for for their good becomes you know 100 or so years later um, if children have tattoos, it must be because they're they're victims of of of, of, of satanic uh, cults. Like kind of kind of astonishing that this still becomes part of the story. Mm. You know. Yeah, and once again, uh, only complete and utter freaks are obsessed with other people's genitals. Yeah, and other people's children's genitals as well. Like absolutely horrific. And like, just to be really or- clear, you know, like all of this has been investigated. None of it's true. Um, the 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 um. Uh, several people involved with making up the hoax and spreading it have been arrested and charged. Like um, there have been cases in all kinds of courts to, 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 to you know, the authorities as rightly so, you know, did initially take these claims seriously because, you know, if, if true, they are horrific and, and then they're not, they're not the case. Um, but it, it was, it was interesting to me when I was listening to the, the hoax podcast on, on the story that how, just how much tattooing was part of the, um the visual uh mm-hmm. you know narrative mm-hmm. storytelling um that was mm-hmm. that was that was fed to these poor young children in order to try and you know make up for stories about their about their father yeah and you know it i know we've talked about it before but it is it is indicative of the cultural shorthand around tattooing to people who either aren't tattooed or aren't into tattooing that you know Tattooing means a certain thing to a lot of people. 
Yeah, right. And again, we, we've I, I talk I talk about this. Uh, if any of the listeners have seen my video on YouTube um, about tattoos in films, um, tattooing uh, is often used in cinema as a narrative device of indicating deviance um, or or kind of you know subterfuge that reveals something about their true character. And again, I think to talk specifically about about children here, like I think the idea that children haven't yet decided who they are as people. Um, which is again a, a, a correct, I think, in general, uh, view of childhood. The idea that you 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 can't tattoo your body because you haven't yet decided what it is, who it is you want to be or, or present yourself as, um, is is also part of the conversation. You know, so this is this is this is a thorny and complicated issue, but um, I think it's it's. Uh, I hope you know by by going from you know some stories which are slightly absurd, you know, pe- aristocratic women and their nannies bringing in children bringing in their babies to get tattooed through to this we end up asking some quite interesting complicated stories about things like identity identity formation you know parental and um, relationship to their children and responsibility to their children social you know all of these all of these very complicated questions are revealable or articulatable through thinking about about tattooing so you know, on that very deep and somber note, I want to thank you very much for subscribing to the Patreon. Uh, thank you very much for supporting us. Um, you obviously enjoy the show. Um, you probably follow us online. Um, if not, and if this is in a future point uh, where it might be released publicly, you can listen to more episodes like this on Patreon. Uh, for as little as five quid a month, you get early episodes, bonus episodes, and you get to form a parasocial relationship with myself and Matt. Um, for uh, more episodes, you can follow us on Spotify or whatever streaming service you use. You probably already do if you're on Patreon. If not, and someone sent you this episode, you know, check us out. You can find me online at Gynies. That's G-U-Y-N-E-Y-S. You can find Matt at Matt Lauder. That's M-A-T-T-L-O-D-D-E-R on almost every platform. And don't forget to buy his book painted people out on the 27th of october if you subscribe at the 15 pound tier you will get a signed copy sent directly to you 100 percent. and and many of the stories we've touched upon today um and their contexts are expanded through um longer stories with footnotes and references so you can go and look up all the primary sources for yourself in the book particularly the story of madeline um is a whole chapter which we've drawn on today um, but there are wider stories on the satanic panic and tattooing in the 1980s, um, on tattooing of children for identification, a whole chapter on the Titchborne trial. Um, so all of these themes um, run through the book, and I hope people will enjoy it. And yeah, if you subscribe at the £15 level, um, you will get a free copy of the book signed by me. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you.